Welcome to the Scientific American Podcast, Science Talk, posted on January 16th, 2012. I'm Steve Mursky. The National Center for Science Education is the country's top resource for teachers, parents, students, and clergy when the teaching of evolution in public school classrooms is threatened by religiously motivated ideologues. But evolution is no longer the only science under threat in schools, which is why the NCSE announced today that they're branching out. I called Executive Director Eugenie Scott on January 13th to find out about their new initiative. Dr. Scott, great to talk to you as always. I understand that uh, you're adding, you decided to fight the war on two fronts. Yeah, it's it's, but it's not like we're bored with creationism, right? I mean, you know, it's it's own. It's not even as we're talking. It's not even two weeks into the uh, into 2012, and we already have five creationism pieces of le- anti-evolution pieces of legislation submitted. So it, it's not like we're bored. But duty calls. What can I say? Well, um, well we can come back to those and, and talk. I know that there have been a couple in New Hampshire. But um, why don't we talk about what this new front's going to be? Well, as you mentioned, uh, our expertise, and for the last over 20 years or so, uh, NCSE has helped teachers out at the grassroots level um, in their classroom problems or school board level problems or state legislation uh, when problems have arisen over the teaching of evolution. We provide them with advice and information and, and help and, and support, uh, so that they can defend the integrity of science and, and teach good science and, and teach evolution. And it's become apparent over the last few years that teachers are experiencing more and more problems over the teaching of global warming and other climate science uh, topics. And, uh, you know, we're seeing more newspaper accounts, we're seeing more legislation that bundles evolution and climate change as so-called controversial issues. So we thought about this very carefully, actually. We didn't really rush into it. We spent about a year asking other organizations, are you hearing that teachers are having problems? Yes. Are you doing anything about it? No, we think you should, because you do a good job with evolution. And so we decided to um, to take this on, and uh, so as part of our Climate Change Initiative, we have added a new climate scientist, Mark McCaffrey, to our staff. We've added a climate scientist to the board of directors of NCSE. We've added Peter Click from the Pacific Institute. And uh, we are, as we, I guess we could say, open for business for any teachers or parents or uh, school board members or people who are concerned about this issue who would like some help uh, in um, coping with uh, uh, an attack on another science, shall we say, and how it's taught in the classroom. Can you talk a little bit about the kind of specific attacks that we've already seen related to climate change in education? Yes. Um, a lot of it, it, it seems to fall into the category of a teacher trying to teach the consensus view of science, which is that the planet's getting warmer and uh, people have a have a, a big contribution to this warming, which is you know pretty much accepted anywhere you go in the scientific community. But when they try to teach that, they get pushback from students. Um, uh, we've had. Uh, reports where students have gotten up and walked out of class. Uh, students have raised their hand. Teacher, my dad says global warming is a hoax. Uh, or we've had 
teachers have experienced pushback from parents uh, complaining about materials in um, uh, textbooks uh, uh, which accept matter-of-factly that the planet's getting warmer and parents will complain about that. We've also seen school board level policies that attempt to compromise the teaching of climate science. So a lot of the same sorts of things that uh, teachers over the decades have experienced with um, the teaching of evolution. And what kind of services can you offer to anybody who does get in touch with you because they they say they're having some issues at their particular institution? Of course, every situation is different. But uh, as an example of one bit of assistance that we provided to uh, a teacher, um, uh, there was a teacher, and this is not a public controversy, but I can you know, describe the particulars without identifying it. A teacher um, was um, accused of bias by a parent uh, because she taught straight science. And the parent uh, demanded that the um, administration require the teacher to have a debate between a uh, climate scientist and a climate and a global warming denier. And they called us, uh, you know, the the teacher's representative called us and said, uh, can you have some suggestions? So, you know, what we suggested was that the science class should be the place for the presentation of standard science, the consensus view of science as scientists understand it. And if you want to debate policy issues, uh, you know, should we have a tax on carbon or, you know, should individuals... Uh, um, stop driving cars or what you know if you want to have a debate on the policy issues that should be over in the social studies class and obviously we believe that the science should inform the positions of that debate but those kinds of issues which really are the sorts of things that the parent wanted debated uh, those kinds of things are extra to the basic science i mean the basic science tells us that CO2 is a greenhouse gas. It is uh, contributing to an increase in warming. Warming is happening. Uh, the human generation of CO2 is a component of that warming, and, and this is the sort of thing that should be presented without compromise to students in the classroom. It cracks me up when I hear a lot of politicians say that CO2 is harmless, and I always say, well, why don't you get in a room filled with it then? <laughs> I realize that's a different scientific mechanism. But it, <laughs> It's always pretty funny to me. And then, of course, uh, Speaker Boehner uh, contended that CO2 was not a carcinogen, and nobody really said it was, but that's a whole different issue. Um, what, what kind of things won't you be doing? We won't be dealing with, um, with policy in, uh, issues. We won't be dealing with what should we do about global warming because that's a out of our expertise. We're not a policy institute and uh, B, uh, it, it just is not something that plays a big role in the uh, middle school and high school teaching of climate science. Um, teachers need to be able to teach unfettered, shall we say, uh, what the basic science is and what we know about it and not be distracted by these political issues. And unfortunately, just as with evolution, it's not the science that is the problem, it's the um, implications, shall we say, of the science that are really more of a controversial issue. Now, the sources of pushback are very different between, well, there's some overlap, but there there's a wide difference between um, who's against teaching evolution and who's against teaching climate science. 
This is true. You will tend to find, however, that the anti-evolutionists also include anti-global warming as part of their concerns. But it's it's generally done from a religious you know, standpoint. God would not let anything happen to his creation kind of thing. The major push against uh, the teaching of uh, global warming and other climate science topics does come more from people of particular political and economic ideologies. Um, you tend to find it, uh, well, just just as evolution is falsely portrayed as uh, uh, requiring atheism, so um, global warming is falsely portrayed as requiring a growth of big government, or it's anti-capitalist. Uh, you, you find a lot of libertarians who will argue that um, climate science isn't real, it's going to require us to uh, impose upon American individualism and, and stuff like that. So uh, it, it, it's really frustrating for teachers to have to um, be pressed to compromise the teaching of basic science because of political or, or uh, social factors here. What's going on? I know we've talked in the past about uh, problems that some astronomy teachers have, have had with, uh, with pushback from parents or students because of the age of the universe issue that some people don't accept. So is there, is there any, uh, any thought to expanding yet again into astronomy cosmology? Only in the sense that uh, uh, the topic of evolution does impinge upon so many different scientific disciplines. Um, we, you know, we're, we're not going to go after the geocentrists next. <laughs> it's true there is a geocentric movement out there, but fortunately they're not influencing the uh, science classroom. So that is our focus. It's it's uh, what our teachers facing in terms of uh, what society considers a controversial issue, even if the scientific community doesn't. That's really true. In case uh, the term geocentric doesn't mean much to somebody listening, there I've seen their brochures. There are groups who believe, despite the last 500 years, uh, that the uh, – longer than that, really – that the Earth is the center of the universe and the sun revolves around the Earth, as does everything else. And uh, they would – they would like that taught in science classes. Yeah, and interesting, since we're on this little footnote anyway, um, uh, some of the creationist organizations are, although not, you know, promoting a strict, you know, Copernican kind of, um, it's sort of a neo-geocentrism, as it were. It's, 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 again, trying to make science conform with their interpretation of the Bible. And since the Bible does argue that the earth is the center of God's creation, they have to somehow work that out. So there's one um, creationist who's actually worked relativity theory into um, kind of a neo-geocentrism, which is fascinating to me that he's argue, arguing that um, the earth really is the center of the universe because after all the universe expands in all directions and that uh, it's actually still a young earth because um, outside of kind of the immediate sphere around earth um, uh, time is slowed down but so right here right here uh, in our own um Earth, um, it is really only 6,000 years old, even though the universe may seem like it's millions of, billions of years old. It's just wonderful stuff. It's really That great. is great. <laughs> just, I love it. That's great. Um, let's talk just briefly about those, 
five evolution bills that are currently in in state legislatures that you were talking about. Mm -hmm. Well, perhaps the zaniest one is in Indiana. That is just a straight-up school should be teaching creation science bill, and our jaws dropped when we saw that because, you know... God in heaven, <laughs> creation science. Um, and also, yeah, but, it's settled law that yeah, that is I mean, not legal. And, and not exactly day before yesterday either. I mean, we're talking Edwards versus Aguilar, nineteen eighty-seven. This has been around for a while. You know, the the Supreme Court has said no. Creation science is religious advocacy. You can't present it in you know you you can't advocate it in the science class. And, uh, but what's, uh, you know, the Indiana bill bears watching because, um, it has a bunch of, uh, of, uh, co-sponsors, number one, but also the, um, proportion of, of religious conservatives and Tea Party oid, uh, uh, people in the Indiana legislature is monumental. And crazy as it sounds, it just might pass. I mean, one of the proponents of this bill has been saying things like, well, we don't care what the Supreme Court says. Uh, we're just, we're going to do this anyway because, you know, we're on the right side of, of, uh, God and the law and we're just doing what is proper. Maybe we'll become the model for other states. And of course, th- this is, uh, nullification, I guess. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is the idea that, that a state can just completely thumb its uh, nose at a major branch of our whole checks and balance systems. I mean, you can't just dismiss the judiciary system. This is this is madness. So that's an extremely interesting bill. And by the way, your uh, listeners can go to ncse.com and click on the news button at the uh, top and they can get all of this stuff. Um, all of the uh, various uh, bills that are proposed. Um, perhaps the most surprising bills are the two New Hampshire bills. And I, generally speaking, we get very few uh, pieces of legislation and actually not very many calls at all from the northeastern part of the country. The religious tradition there tends to be much more moderate, uh, it Catholic and moderate Protestant. And so we just don't seem to have the problems as we have with uh, more conservative Christianity. Um, and so uh, finding an anti-evolution bill in New Hampshire, it raises eyebrows just uh, for its location. But what uh, has cropped up again is two bills that have just been uh, introduced in, within a week of each other in um, Missouri, which uh, one, the, the one, the most recent one, is, is um, echoes the Louisiana Science Education Act, which is one of these academic freedom bills. And again, it's bundling evolution and global warming. And uh, because um, th- there have been a number of bills since um, 2008 uh, modeled on this, uh, using the same kind of wording as the Louisiana bill, we've seen them cropping up, uh, you know, Michigan, Kentucky, Tennessee, uh, Oklahoma, all kinds of places. Um, but we, we think that maybe this bill is getting passed around because it did pass in Louisiana. And people believe that, um, well, if it passed here, it could pass in my state as well. So we're getting clones of this Louisiana bill cropping up, as, such as this one in Missouri. So, you know, we shall see. Um, funny things, not ha-ha funny, but peculiar things happen in uh, states with legislation during election years, and clearly this is an election year, 2012. And, of course, the last year of the Earth, according to... Again. Right. 
Right. Once more, the earth is going to end. Right. Well, somebody should try teaching that in science class. <laughs> well, but you know, here at NCSC, we always have a cake and a little celebration on the end of the World Day, and you know, it, it's actually uh, just a sort of office culture here. We're we're usually looking for an opportunity to have a cake and some. <laughs> <laughs> celebration. So no. this just gives us one more. Well, when it's the last day of the world and you have the cake, do you finish the cake or do you put some in the fridge <laughs> for the next day? Well, generally speaking, cake disappears pretty fast around our office, but no, uh, any leftovers are in the refrigerator. And miraculously enough, uh, they are available for lunch the next day for anyone who might not have been in. Fantastic. Well, uh, well good luck on, on this new front. Thanks very much for uh, helping us um, get the word out that this is a new initiative. And we hope that any anyone listening to this who hears in their community or sees a newspaper article or hears a comment from a teacher about problems involved in teaching global warming or evolution, please uh, get in touch with us and help that teacher get in touch with us. And again, they can get in touch through your website. NCSE.com. That's it for this episode. Go to www.scientificamerican.com for all your science news. And check out Anna Kuchman's slideshow on the secret lives of bats. Also, if you're in New York City on Wednesday evening, January 18th, join a lot of the Scientific American staff, along with researchers from the American Museum of Natural History, at a tweet-up at the museum. You have to be on Twitter... And you have to follow both Scientific American, our Twitter name is at Siam, S-C-I-A-M, and you have to follow the museum, which is at A-M-N-H, American Museum of Natural History. And at that point, you can register for the event, which is free. You can find sign-up info for the tweet-up on our website. And when you follow Siam on Twitter, you get a tweet every time a new article hits the website. For Science Talk, I'm Steve Mursky. Thanks for clicking on us. 